0: well good morning once again athens first united methodist it is so good to be with you on this fifth sunday of the easter season we are in the 50 days of joy and we have had so much to be joyful about these past couple of weeks last week we got to celebrate the confirmation of 38 of our students This week, we get to celebrate the graduation of our students. And next week, we get to celebrate Mother's Day. So it is a uh, a beautiful time to be together as a church. And I am grateful to be in worship with you this morning. Uh, We are in the fourth week of our Easter sermon series. It's called Resurrection Stories. And what we've been doing uh, since the second Sunday of Easter is we have been bouncing around from Gospel to Gospel. We have been following the resurrected Jesus wherever He goes. And we've been studying these different stories of the resurrected Jesus to look at what he said, what he did, where he went, with whom did he engage. And together, as we dig beneath the surface of these stories, we're asking the question, what does Jesus teach us about living out a resurrected faith? What does it mean for us to be Easter people? Well, this morning, I want us to look at at the very last story that is told in the Gospel of John. It comes to us from the 21st chapter. I'll be reading starting in with verse 1. Hear now the Word of God. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Uh, gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, uh, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. But just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus called out to them saying, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, then cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they weren't able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked. And he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came back in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. But when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there. And there were fish on it, and there was bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them in total. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast with me. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came, And he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Now this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. But when they had finished breakfast, Jesus then said to Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, then feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He then said to him for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. So one of the things I've always found to be a unique aspect of the Gospel of John is the fact that it has not one, uh, but two separate endings. The first ending uh, we read last week from John 20. Um, if you look starting around verse 30, uh, John ends his, the original gospel this way. Jesus performed many other signs, which are not written in these, this book, but these were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. Now that is a really good way to end a gospel. But apparently, it's not the only way to end a gospel, because just one chapter later, at the end of chapter 21, John ends his gospel yet another time. And this time, he does it similarly, but it's also different. Because this time, John says, Jesus did many other things. If they were written all down, well, I suppose that the whole world wouldn't have room for all the books. That would be written. Now, if you are unaware of this fact this morning, then I'm guessing you're probably sitting there wondering, why on earth does the Gospel of John have two separate endings? Well, scholars tell us that there's at least two possibilities for why this might be. Uh, The first very well could be the fact that John had finished his Gospel. He had read it over. He sent it to his publisher. The publisher thought it looked great. He was ready to have it signed, sealed, and delivered. Everything was just perfect until he remembered, oh, shoot. That story about Jesus feeding breakfast to the disciples on the beach, I totally forgot to put it in there. And so John added a really long P.S. to his Gospel that we know as chapter 21. Could be. Another possibility is that chapter 21 wasn't written by John, but by John's disciples. It could be that John actually told that story to the disciples so many times that they heard it and they loved it, and when he died, maybe they thought it would be tragic for us not to include this story in John's Gospel. It's one of the most beautiful stories, the story of Jesus feeding the disciples breakfast on the seashore. We've got to put it in there. And so, in a very similar writing style to John, they included this story and then they even ended it in a way that was very similar to his original ending. Now, will we ever really know the reason why John has two different endings to his Gospel? Probably not. But regardless of how these two different endings came to be, I have to tell you that I am really grateful To whoever made the decision to make sure that this was in there I am really grateful that there was someone somewhere who said this gospel would not be complete unless this story is in there because not only is this one of my favorite stories in the gospel of John but it's also one of those stories where when you begin to dig beneath the surface you find out that there's a lot of good stuff in here that teaches us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus For instance, one of the first things that John tells us in this story is the fact that early one morning, the disciples decided to go fishing on what he calls the Sea of Tiberias, which was another name for the Sea of Galilee. And they also, that morning, caught nothing. And so there is a stranger, apparently, who's walking along the seashore. He's on the beach, and he calls out to them, and he says, Hey, you haven't caught anything, have you? Well, if you put your net on the other side, I bet you'll find some fish there. So that's what they did. And John says they caught so many fish that they could barely haul all of them in, in their nets. Now, if this story sounds familiar to you, that's really good, because it should. Uh, Because back in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke, Uh, Luke tells a story from the beginning of Jesus ministry when Jesus first called Peter James and John To be his disciples and the way that Luke tells that story is he said that one day the disciples were out fishing all night long and they caught nothing and then all of a sudden Jesus is walking along on the seashore and he calls out to Them and he says hey, I bet if you cast your net on the other side of the boat, you'll catch something Peter says to him, yeah, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be helpful. But if you say so, we will. So they do it. And guess what? They caught so many fish that they could barely haul them all in. And so when you think of those two stories, you have to think that maybe the disciples were having a little deja vu that morning, right? You have to think that all of a sudden, at least Peter, James, and John were thinking, wait a second, wait a second, I think we've been here before. And they're thinking about the fact that here they are three years later doing the same thing that Jesus had told them to do three years earlier. And so it is that the disciples didn't need to ask for any ID. They didn't need to verify Jesus' identity. They knew exactly who was standing on the beach. They knew that it was Jesus. So they immediately come to shore and Jesus is there making breakfast for them on the beach and one of the interesting things about the breakfast is the fact that it says that there was bread there and it was then that jesus sat the disciples down and he he took the bread and he broke the bread and he gave them the bread and you have to think that for the disciples they're all of a sudden having upper room flashbacks they're they're thinking about the Last Supper, it's almost as if the disciples and Jesus are having communion right there on the beach. But perhaps the most interesting detail of this entire story is one that you and I might miss if we didn't know to look for it. Because this is one of those details in the story that seems so insignificant just on the face of it that we would be likely to just pass it on by if you didn't know to dig a little bit deeper. Because one of the things about John that you need to know is the fact that he is not the kind of guy who just gives you all kinds of unnecessary detail. He does not use any kind of superfluous language where he describes things that really don't need describing. No, everything he puts in his gospel always has a purpose. And so when you look at this story, you notice that he says that Jesus is making breakfast on the beach, and what had he made? A charcoal fire. Now, that may not seem like a very significant detail in the story. That is until you remember that there's only one other place in all of the Gospels where a charcoal fire is mentioned. And that's in John 18. And do you remember what happened in John 18? John says that Jesus had just been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was being led to the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. And there was one disciple who's kind of lagging behind. He's following at a distance. Do you remember who it was? It was Peter. And Peter follows Jesus all the way to the house of Caiaphas, but he doesn't go inside. No, instead, he decides to hang out in the courtyard. And John says that Peter opted to to join this group of people who were warming themselves around a what? What? A charcoal fire. And it's then that a very interesting conversation begins because there was a servant girl there who looks at Peter and very innocently says to him, Don't I know you? (laughs) Wait a second. I feel like you were one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Are you not? And Peter says, No, I don't know what you're talking about. You must have me confused with someone else. And a little while later, somebody else came up to him and said, no, 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 I I think she's right. I'm pretty sure you're one of the 12. He said, "Mm, mm, mm, nope, I'm telling you, I I don't know that guy. And finally, one of the soldiers comes up to him and says, I am absolutely sure that I saw you just a few hours ago in the garden of Gethsemane, to which Peter says, I don't know the man. And then off in the distance, a rooster crows. Just as Jesus had predicted once Peter had denied him three times. With all of this as a background, Jesus invites his disciples to have breakfast on the beach in the presence of a what? A charcoal fire. And that's when another interesting conversation begins. Because notice that this conversation is now just between Jesus and Peter. Although Jesus doesn't call him Peter. Because Peter was the name that he gave him when he said, you are the rock, you are the Petrus, you are the Peter on which I will build my church. It's a strong name. He doesn't call him that anymore. What does he call him? Simon, son of John. He calls him the name that he was pre-rock, pre-Peter, pre-foundation on which I will build my church. And so Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Then a second time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I do. And he said, then take care of my sheep. But then the third time, Jesus asks the same question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that's when Peter got really, really hurt. He was really upset that Jesus would ask him that question three different times. And so he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. To which Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, some people think that what Jesus was doing here is what I have to do with my children sometimes, which is using the art of repetition. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll see that, that trash bag hanging out by the door to the garage, and I'll call out, Hey, boys, you going to take that trash bag out? Yeah, Dad. <laughs> Half hour later, walk by, still sitting there. Uh, boys, garbage, you going to take that out? Yeah, Dad, we're on it. Hour later, still sitting there, boys, the trash, you got to take it out, yes, and they finally go and they take it out to the garbage can. You know, sometimes people need to be reminded of things one or two or 400 times in order to get them to do what you want them to do. That is not what Jesus is doing here. Please understand, Jesus is not trying to use the art of repetition in the same way that a parent would with a child. No, what Jesus is doing in the very purposeful presence of a charcoal fire is he is recreating the scene of Peter's greatest failure. He is recreating the scene of Peter's threefold denial of him. And what I want you to notice is that when Jesus starts addressing Peter, he doesn't stand him in front of the others and start insulting him or shaming him or belittling him. He doesn't have Peter, you know, write on the chalkboard 500 times, I will not deny Jesus ever again. No, very simply but very subtly, Jesus asks him the same question three times. Do you love me? And in so doing, he is reinstating Peter as the rock on which I will build my church. In other words, this is one of the greatest stories of redemption in the entire Bible. Because this is Jesus' way of saying, no matter what happened during the dark night of your greatest failure, God's mercies are new every morning. In other words, this is the moment where Jesus offers Peter grace. And I don't know about you, but that, that's, a, that's a reminder that I need to hear time and time again. Because whether we want to admit it or not, ultimately all of us have to confess that we've all done the same thing that Peter did. We have all denied Jesus at one time or another. Now, maybe it's not as directly, maybe it's not as straightforwardly as Peter did when he was standing at the charcoal fire at Caiaphas' house. But we've all denied Jesus by our actions and our inactions by our lack of faith and our lack of self-control. All of us have done things in our lives where in the aftermath, if we listen carefully enough, we can hear a rooster crawl off in the distance. Now, of course, these are not things that any of us are proud of. In fact, the skeletons that some of us have in our closets are the source of our greatest regret and shame. To the point where it could even make us ask the question, how could God possibly love me after what I've done? How could God ever forgive me after what I've committed? Sometimes we do things that we feel are so sinful that we wonder if they lie outside the bounds of redemption. But here's what Peter wants you to know this morning. If Peter were here, what he'd want you to know because of what he learned in his fireside chat with Jesus is that no matter what happens on the darkest night of your deepest failure, God's mercies are new every morning. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, you will never stand outside the bounds of God's amazing grace. Which means that you can run from him. You can hide from him. You can disobey him. You can even deny him three times. But every time, Jesus will be there standing on the shore of your soul ready to welcome you home with open arms. And the only question that he will have for you is this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Amen.